0: This week's episode is brought to you by Hutchu Games. Their game Plunderbund, the back alley business board game, is available right now on Kickstarter. You can find it at tinyurl.com plunderbund. That's P-L-U-N-D-E-R-B-U-N-D. In Plunderbund, you lead a guild striving to dominate the market for illegal goods in the Sprawl, a city rich in history and lawlessness. Through a light deck building mechanism, you will recruit and task a mob of agents, racketeers, and others to build your reputation by extorting merchants and selling your black market goods. Winners and losers are determined by a fun, yet sophisticated, supply and demand mechanic. So check out the Kickstarter for Plunderbun
1: today. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding, fulfillment, and warehousing. Check them out at QMLogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design, to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design
0: Lab. Today, we're talking about modifications, talking about modding games, modding published games, making them making them simpler, making them more complex, and we're talking to Jesse Zamora. Jesse, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, man, I'm glad to talk to you. This is a very interesting uh, topic that you pitched to me, and I was like, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. I, I see how this uh, could be really interesting to people working on games, especially people who have kids who are probably already doing this and maybe not even thinking about, you know, they're actually improving their game design skills as they mod games and kind of change them around to help their kids or uh, other people in their group, or maybe they've got some uh, friends that have accessibility issues, and so they're modifying games to kind of to, to make those games more accessible and, and and make the games more playable, so to speak. And so I'm really interested to get into this topic but before we get into it, who are you? What's your bio? How'd you get into game design? All that good stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, like you said, my name is Jesse Zamora and I've been playing games my whole life as far as I can remember, board games. Uh, But I would say I haven't played modern board games until around 2010. And uh, I say my gateway game was like many people, the Settlers of Catan uh, introduced to me by my wife and really showed me what Other types of games are out there. You know, I played games like Life and Monopoly as a kid and other things like Stratego or Pente, an abstract strategy game, which played a lot of that with my brothers, uh, but didn't really know about Euro games or worker placement, tile placement games until relatively recently, the past eight years. And so uh, that really got me more into board gaming. And my wife and I actually met at a game night. So we play a lot of board games together. We have a good collection. You know, we have friends over to play games quite often, and whenever we have friends over, they always say, if they're usually not gamers, so they'll say, you have the most interesting games. Oh yeah, there's there's a ton of interesting (laughs) games out there. So uh, with that, I find games that maybe I'll play it and don't necessarily like a certain mechanic or a certain rule is not my favorite. And so I started making modifications uh, and it just makes it more fun sometimes to make those modifications. But then specifically on one of the topics is making those modifications for kids. So I have a nine-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter. And when my older daughter was younger, we were playing a lot of basic kids games. And so I wanted to get her more involved in more complex games. So part of it is making modifications to make those simple games more complex so that she'll be able to play other games later
0: yeah that makes sense so your your entry into game design was really just kind of a practical one of redesigning some games to make them more accessible for for your daughter and so that and i can also see where as as a father of younger kids where making a game a little more complex makes it more fun for me right so not only am i helping my kids learn deeper games but i'm also like not having to sit there and just play a bunch of roll and move you know games and like oh this is not a game is an activity and so i feel like everybody wins in this scenario but before we really get into more depth what are we really what are we really talking about when when someone says i'm modding a game when you're when you know when you have that idea i'm going to change this game somehow what what does that mean exactly
2: yeah so for me a modification is taking let's say an already published game and just changing something about it whether it's the rules uh, a rule that you don't like or a limitation that's been given in a rule and saying we'll probably have more fun if we do it without that rule or change the value um, in doing that or with these simple to complex or complex to simple game changes, adding or removing complete mechanics. And that's a bigger one where that's maybe a little more challenging than just changing a rule. But that's really how I would define what we're doing here
0: gotcha. Now in the RPG world, people would say, Oh, you're doing a little homebrew, yeah, right? Yeah, you're exactly. changing the rules to, <laughs> to fit your table. And yes, I think it's the same thing. I think anybody coming out of an RPG background who has you know, been a dungeon master or just played role-playing games in some uh, form or fashion, they're going to totally relate to this. Like, Oh yeah, it's, it's just you know, making the game more fun based on the people at the table, based on, Oh, I don't like that rule. So I'm going to make it different. And yeah. I think it's, I think it's something that a lot of us do naturally, but maybe, you know, don't put it in those terms. And so let's get into some examples. Give me some examples for kids that you have, have modded games. And then we'll kind of, after that, we'll get into the more the adult side. I feel like there's two different things going on for those two different types of people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I, let's start with the, the one where let's take a simple game to more complex. So yeah, when my daughter was two years old, you play a lot of Candyland, right? Every, yeah. Everybody knows how to play Candyland and uh, you ask anybody who let's say plays games and they'll say, Oh, well, Candyland's a dumb game because it's, predefined who wins and there's no skills well really it's a game that's uh, set up for a two-year-old to play or a three-year-old to play and they're learning their colors so the skill is knowing your colors well for you and i and maybe anybody who listens to this podcast they know their colors already so that, that skill is not really hard um there's it's also a a fine motor of them moving their pawn along the board staying within the bounds of their space so again, for us, that's not very difficult. We do that naturally. Uh, But for them, they're actually learning something. And so I want to take that game that now I've played with my daughter way too many times and make it more complex. And so the first thing that I would do in that example is say, well, let's add a little bit of strategy to this game. Instead of just taking a a card off the top of the deck, uh, let's make a lake of a deck, you know, and you can randomly pick a card. Well, that adds a little bit of randomness. And now, the winner is not already determined. It's the first step. It adds a little mechanic for a two, three-year-old to get you know, some new mechanic to the game. Uh, then the next step could be something where we have a hand. Now we have a hand of five cards, and you have to choose the best move for you, and then you get another card to replace it. So we're teaching a young child with a basic game a mechanic that's going to get used in any card game in the future. Uh, So those are some basic examples of adding a new layer to a simple game.
0: Yeah, gotcha. And now let's let's stay in that simple to complex mode. What about for adults? Like what if you're, you know, you got a game that you're trying to modify, you know, and there's only adults at the table.
2: Okay. So what I try and do is find some mechanic from another game that I know of that you could easily Mm. include in there. Actually, this would be probably related more to kids. Um, and, and let's just go back to the Candyland reference. We're now mm-hmm. playing Candyland, and um, we have the hand. Well, I want to take a mechanic from a game that they're going to want to play. So maybe my daughter was uh, three or four, and she said she saw us playing Ticket to Ride. And she said, I, I want to play Ticket to Ride. And it's like, well, you can't quite play the full game, but let's take part of that game, put it into Candyland, And then when we get to Ticket to Ride, she'll know it already, right? And so in this instance, in Ticket to Ride, you flip over five cards. Those are your options to pick from uh, instead of just drawing from the top. So now there's an extra mechanic there. So you have your hand, but you could pick cards based on the color that you want to get and then play them. So it's now only it's one layer deeper, but it's the same mechanic that she's going to see in Ticket to Ride.
0: Yeah definitely and i can see how you know with with adult gamers if let's say you've got a spouse or you've got a, a friend or a family member who you know they love uno they love hearts or spades or you know something like mm-hmm. that but they're not into the the deeper hobby games if you wanted to kind of start introducing little mechanisms here and there to try to basically just try to ease them into Uh, games, especially, you know, if you're, if you don't have very many, uh, that's one thing. There there are plenty of games you can go out and buy that would probably be for them and to be able to understand, but maybe you don't have that, maybe you don't have the money, something like that. And so adding mechanisms, you know, making, making Uno somehow a little bit more in depth or something like that, or actually, you know, a lot of people have played Catan and it's a very, very simple game when you get right down to it. And so I've seen people mod that game where instead of rolling the die for the, for the robber. Uh, or, or the uh, the resource generation, they they create a deck of cards. And so this creates a little more depth because there's only a certain number of fives, of eights, yeah. of twelves yeah. in the deck. And so then you're like really thinking through, okay, if there's only three fives in there and I've already seen two, then what are the odds that another one's going to be pulled in the next 25 cards? Like it's very, very low. And so you're thinking through r- odds and ratios and that kind of thing, as opposed to just being blind luck. Yeah. And that adds a lot more thought, you know? And, and so there are ways to mod adult games a- as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: All right, so let's look on the other side of things. If, you know, going from complex to simple. Give me some examples you, in ways you've done that with kids in the in that area.
2: Yeah, let, let's actually let's stick with the Settlers of Catan example that we we're just okay. talking about because this is what we did with my daughter. Uh, I, I believe if you look on the side of Settlers of Catan, it says uh, that it's for age thirteen plus, which mm-hmm. might might be a little high, but. Uh, at least Well, that's too. probably
0: also to avoid the uh, child testing regulations because if it's 13 or higher, I think you're, you're not as uh, apt to get in trouble for certain things. Like anyway, I think that's more of a publishing thing than oh, actually okay. the age. I don't. I don't know that they actually think only 13 or older can play this as much as it's. Oh, okay. We don't want to have to pay for the extra child testing services that go into 12 uh, or below age ranges. So that might be it too. But anyway, keep going.
2: Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't know about that. that that's good to know. Okay, so, so with Settlers of Catan, uh, what we did, or what I did, is take, I believe she was probably around f- five when we started learning Catan. And we said, well, let's, I want to minimize this game to just the core littlest that you could do. And so we built the island with only forests and hills. So that's wood and brick. And you got wood and brick, and we put a settlement on one end of the r- island. And their goal is to just build roads from the left to the right. So you have to build six or seven roads. We still roll dice, we put all the tiles down, you know, you roll dice, generate resources, build a road. You get all the way to the other side, whoever gets there first wins. So you're doing dice rolling, you're doing resource management, you're holding your resources and then you're building and you get to the end. So we've taken sort of the basis of Catan, or maybe stripped out some of the mechanics and started there. And the next step was okay, well, let's add in just settlements. We're not going to do cities. So now it requires four resources. So the island's grown. uh, And now, and actually, I think what we did is instead of being four resources, it was three resources. And so you had to collect those three. And then every two roads, you had to build a settlement. And so we had to get those resources and build a settlement. And it required the brick, wood, and maybe sheep. And then we added one more layer. So let's make it a little harder. Now we have four resources. We're going to build settlements. And then we added cities and then added all of the other mechanics slowly. So after she's played this game five or six times with each one of these incremental modifications, we've eventually gotten to the point where we have every mechanic in there and she's playing the whole game. And she's five, you know. So that's a good example that we've actually did with her of starting taking that complex game or let's say complex for a child, uh, back to what's the minimum we can do. That is a mechanic of this game.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's a really cool way to to bring your kids along into the hobby, right? Without, yeah. And also with, it also allows you to play these more enjoyable games. So you're not just in there playing Candyland, you know, exactly. every single time. Yeah, definitely. And what would you say has been her ability to grasp these concepts as she really just picked it right up as you only add one new mechanic at a time or like, tell me about that.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's really the key there is that because we're adding one thing at a time, it's not overwhelming. And so it says, oh, well, I already know how to do all of this. I'm only adding this little bit. And so she can learn. I mean, that's what happens in school, right? You learn. The next little bit the next little bit the next little bit and as soon as you know it you're through elementary school and you know how to do all of this stuff right and so it's very similar in that and for the child it's very exciting for them to be able to say oh i know how to play Settlers of catan and you're like well you only built roads but yeah you know how to play Settlers of catan and they're excited about that because that's a game that mom and dad play you know
0: yeah, for sure. And actually, this is something I ran into with a, a game I've been working on the last little while. It's it's kind of a it's like NFL Blitz, the board game. Like it's I'm trying to take the arcade, you know, fun of a of a football game, you know, playing in the arcade, and turn that into a board game. And so it's it plays really fast, and you're rolling dice, and you're going back and forth. And I've been adding mechanisms one at a time. Trying to make it a little bit a little bit more complex, a little bit more than just King of Tokyo, sure. you know like ha- add more to it, but what's been really cool is I've added one more mechanism at a time and then I don't mechanism do a play test, add a mechanism do a play test it's been real obvious when the game gets unfun and what I need to remove. It's like, oh, the game wasn't nearly as fun this time as last time. Let me just take out the one thing I added and go back to the fun stuff and then let me try something else. And so it's made the made the game design process really easy to figure out like what's making the game fun and what's making it not fun. And so I feel like people can use this same method in their own designs and make it real easy to pinpoint the the stuff in there that's like, oh, okay, this, this broke the game. Okay, this made the game really unbalanced. Okay, this made the game more fun or less fun. And I feel like it's a really cool approach just for design in general.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's the good point. And I think sometimes people come into design with this grand idea, with all of these mechanics that they want to use. Yeah, And it's just so overly complicated to design that because you need to get to that that base. Let's make the base game, which would probably start out boring, but we're going to add stuff to make it fun and not too much to make it boring again or too complex.
0: Yeah, and this is something can't remember who I talked to in the past about this, but um, make sure the core game works before you start adding in like all these special abilities and, and secret uh, objectives and, and faction powers and asymmetrical abilities and all these things. Make sure the core is fun. Make sure it's enjoyable. That way the most vanilla play of the game is still fun. Right. And if you have that as your core, then then you can start adding all this other stuff and making it more complex and giving more decisions and, and more paths to victory and things like that. But just finding that, that core. And I think you've done that with with Catan. Right. And you're saying, hey, the core is resource management and building some things. Right. And then you can add more stuff you can build. You can add more research, uh, resources in there. You add more tiles and different things like that. And I think that's a really cool way to do it. Now, another game you mentioned in our conversation before was Shoots and ladders. So tell me how you've uh, modded that one to make it a little bit more interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so shoots and ladders. Oh man, it, I played that game way too much, but uh, <laughs> I, I had to like a true dad, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had to do something to make it more fun for an adult playing. Uh, and so there, I think shoots and ladders. It uses a spinner, right? One through six. Mm-hmm. So okay, well, let's use dice. Let's use double dice because we could go further on each turn. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> we get the game over one, faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, but some other ones, as, as my daughter started to get older, uh, we said, OK, well, let's just do a simple thing. Let's switch the chutes and then the ladders. Let's go down the ladders and up the chutes. And well, it's like a second board, basically, that you're playing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was one because now they have to think, let's go up the slide, which don't do that at the park, but but do it here. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then another way was as she started to get even even older and was starting to do more math. Uh, we could add uh, special rules that says, okay, whenever you land on a space, you know, they're numbered one to a hundred. It will say, well, if you, if you land on a space that's divisible by three, uh, you get another turn, you know, or you get to go forward a spot or uh, some, some additional rule that you can add, or uh, maybe when it's divisible by six, you get to do something. So the kid is doing some more math, which I know we've, uh, you've talked previously in the past. How do we remove math from games? Uh, but I think that's for us. So when we're teaching a child, and uh, we want to get right. a little
0: different,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so that was a couple ways that, that I changed shoots and ladders. Um, just you know, adding special rules so that there's more thinking involved than just spin, roll, or, you know, roll, count, maybe go up or down uh, because it's, it's a very basic game.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I can see how uh, it'd be easy for a designer just to start going through all the mass market games that invariably end up on our shelves for various reasons, especially if you're a parent and start yeah. thinking, "Okay, how can I make this game more interesting? Right? How can I take Jenga and make it, you know, something a little more in-depth than just pulling out a block?" And I think there's actually an RPG game that instead of rolling dice, like the the combat or the the skill check system, it uses Jenga blocks. And I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly how, but they took Jenga and they they and basically added more stuff to it, which is really cool. And so yeah. like, the game of life, the game of Monopoly, like there you go. Turn Monopoly into like a, a blind bidding, bluffing game. You know, you've right. got these auctions and you're doing all this. stuff. I think mean, you, you could do that. And I feel like it'd be a really cool game design exercise, maybe to just start going through games, uh, especially these simple mass market games and adding more to them just to become a better designer, just to understand how mechanisms work, what it looks like to, to add and change. Because again, this is something Carla Cop talked about the game already works. Like you, exactly. you already know the base game works. You might not like it. It might not be a super fun game. It might be really just a glorified activity where you're just rolling a die and moving around a board. But you know it works as millions of people have bought it and so it is what it is. And just adding on to that foundation.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point. I was, I was going to say the same thing from that same episode that you have that base there. So use that to, to hone your design skills, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, so we've talked a good bit about the kid side. Any other aspects you've seen in modding games from the adult standpoint?
2: Uh, Yeah, so usually when I'm going to make a modification on an adult side, it's as I mentioned earlier that I'm either not having fun, or I feel limited Mm -hmm. in some way, or I just don't like some mechanic within the game. So my first example that I ever remember making a change to a game, I was playing with my older brother, we were living together, and are you familiar with the word game Upwards?
0: Yeah, yeah, It's a good game.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love that game, great word game but there are some limitations where you can only stack five tiles high or you right. can't completely cover a word or different things like that. So we would start the game and say, okay, we each get one rule change and then we'll play <laughs> that way. And so I'll say maybe there's no limit to how high we can stack. Or we had a fun rule where normally you can only play one word in like a row or column. And we said, well, you can play anywhere on the board as long as your letters make words. And what that forced my brother and I to do was use all seven letters every time because you get 50 points bonus or some ridiculous amount of points. And so it made it, we had to think a lot more because we need to use all of our letters. Now, if you want to add a whole nother aspect to that, then you add a timer and it says you only have one minute. Do what you can in your minute and then your turn is up. You only get the points that you've played, right? Yeah. Uh, And so that was one the first one that I really remember doing with my brother uh, in making that change. And it made it more fun for us to play. And and I've thought about this a lot. As game designers, like let's say you're designing your game and you have some people play test it. When it gets to the point where they're not having fun, you've, you've changed something that didn't work, right? And so if maybe, and you can't make everybody happy. So if there's a certain type of people or certain people who don't like something about the game, if they went ahead and changed that portion of the game, published game, um, and it makes it more fun for them, I think the designer should be happy about that. That says, you're still playing my game. Although you've made a modification, you're using my game, right? And so so that was one. Another one is when mechanics in the game frustrate me, maybe. And maybe this is just a personal one for me. But uh, you know the game Agricola?
0: Oh, Agricola. Yeah.
2: Agricola, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've heard it both ways, so uh, either way. So that game, it's a, there's a limited number of actions that you can play, right? And that changes each round. You get more and more actions. I find that I really like to think ahead, plan ahead. And so I'll plan 10 turns ahead in that game. And then the person before me takes the action that was going to start my plan. And now my plan doesn't work, right? right. And so... Yeah, So, you know, I'll play these games, but I don't prefer them. So I took a game like that and said, I'm going to wipe out this mechanic and make it more random. So we're going to do some dice roll, and that determines what actions you're allowed to do. you got to choose from these particular actions, but it doesn't prevent me from doing that one because somebody else did it that time. Uh, That's maybe an extreme version, but it's a type of modification that I've done on the adult side of things, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of published games kind of already do this for you. You know, they'll have like a quit quick start rule book that says hey here's the base game right here's how you get started here's how the game works here's how combat works how movement works actions work whatever and so play it like this right. and then after you play it one time add these other rules into the game add these other factions add yeah, these yeah. special abilities you know or a game like eclipse right where the the player boards on one side everything is everybody's the exact same everybody's just generic you know vanilla yeah but yeah then, and then on the other side power. Yeah, exactly. The other side you got special powers. You start off with different amounts of resources and money and things right. you can do and that kind of thing. So I feel like games kind of have a tendency to mod themselves, which is super helpful, especially now because there's so many people playing games. That means there's so many different people playing games, right? Different right. Like, right. understanding and different skill levels, different accessibility things going on. So I feel like it's a really uh, good way to, to do things. And maybe maybe another good design challenge is to is to take a game. That's that's not like Eclipse So take a game that has everything, you know, is is asymmetrical and creating a generic faction or something like that, making something that's just the same for everybody just to see what it would look like. Right. Can you can you boil a game down into its essence and take away these special powers and still make a game that's fun? And that that's just an interesting uh, design challenge.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then you can use that to teach your friends who maybe are coming over and aren't gamers, but you've simplified it for that. Yeah, right.
0: Definitely. And and then vice versa. I think I know Jamie Steadbauer's talked about this, Carla Kopp, several people is, is creating expansions for already published games. Right. And that's something that, you know, if you make a really good one, you could make money. Like you could sell it to the publisher and they could put it out there into the real world, you know, being sold in source. And so it's not always just a design challenge, just a way to you know hone your skills and practice and get better. But it's also could be a potentially viable product down the road.
2: Could be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Awesome. Let's talk about any other examples. Any any other games that you've kind of made some modifications for?
2: Yeah, so there's a game, uh, people may be f- familiar with Keyflower. It's a worker placement game. More workers come. There's, it's four seasons and more workers come each season. But you have to use these workers um, to do things, right? And so when I'm going to use a tile or bid, and so when you're going to use a tile, it, it takes one worker. And then if somebody else wants to use that tile, it takes two workers. The next one takes three with a max of six. So if you were the first person to play on it, you could play three people and nobody else would be able to use that tile because it would go over that limit of six, right? And so that's the mechanic for how you can use these. Well, my brother and I were playing and and I'm sure this is was something that happened during the development of the game where they found the one, two, three process worked the best. Uh, but we wanted to have a game where maybe towards the end of the game, we didn't feel like there's still so much to do. And so we made a modification where instead of one, two, three workers, it's just one, one, one. And if you wanted to force the other person to not be able to play it, you can put three on it. And so we've done things like that, where it allows us to get a lot more done in the game. And we feel that we've had just a better experience in the end. Now... I think if I was designing a game and it came out that way where I get to the end of the game and we've done everything that we could possibly do and I have extra workers, then that's probably not a great game because there's less replayability in the long run because you want somebody to be able to say, oh, next time, I wish I could have done that. So I'm going to do that next time. And so I want to say when I'm going to make a modification like this, it's going to be after I've played the game a lot of times in the normal way. Uh, because then we're just going to try and get more out of the game. You know, eventually after you place things too long, you're, you're going to get bored of things. And so how can we bring, breathe new life into a game that maybe we're getting bored of? And sometimes it's taking those sort of small mechanics and scaling it back a little bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's another viable point, and why you know why people should modify uh, their games is, is to get a little more more shelf life out of them, right? And try new yeah, things yeah. and see, hey, what if what if we did this? What if we did that? Would that you know make the game more fun? And I think also if it's if it's a game that's providing an experience that you're not a fan of necessarily, or you're just not into the experience that it's providing, and you want to change it a little bit, like for instance, if you don't like real time games, and what would, what would it look like to take out the real time aspect from the game and just kind of make it a little more comfortable, a little more laid back, you know, right. not quite as tense, you know, as tense and maybe taking out timers or taking out certain mechanisms that, that force you to make decisions faster than you want to. What does that look like? What does it look like to modify a game? And heck, you might end up with a whole brand new game out of it, right? You might yeah, design yeah. A, a game that hasn't even been made before.
2: Yeah, yeah. Another example, uh, here's another small example. We recently, my wife and I have been playing a lot of Boggle. It's an easy game for us to just sit down at the table before we're going to go to bed. Boggle takes three minutes per round, right? So that's fine. Normally you'd turn a timer over, you start three minutes, find every word that you can find. Well, if you want to add maybe a little more intelligence to it, I don't know. I I feel sometimes in Boggle, it's just how many four letter words can I, three letter words can I find? You put a a goal in mind that says, okay, there's no time limit, um, but you need to find a certain number of five letter words, or maybe you have still the time, but it's whoever can find the longest word. So you're not trying to find all of the the at eight eat, but I'm going to be looking for the longest word I can, which puts a little more strategy in the game or a little more, I guess, yeah, intelligence needed than
0: just the basis of that game. Yeah, right. I think you're basically, you're just adding other objectives, yeah, yeah. right? You're, you're kind of changing the objectives of the game and, and there's lots of games that you could do that with, right? right? And, and just kind of modify the, 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 win conditions, so to speak. Like you're saying with Catan earlier, making it a race as opposed to just trying to get to 10 points first. It's, it's a race to the other side of the board first. And that changes the game. That changes how you're going to play it. And I uh, feel so like doing these kinds of things, even if it's just a you know, keep your brain fresh and, 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 you know, doing things in different ways to kind of keep you sharp, or it's just a good way to improve your design skills and, and get better as a designer. I think there's lots of really good value in doing these. things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One thing I was going to, going to say earlier, I really love when I get a new game and I look through the rule book and on the back page or, you know, towards the end of the rule book, there's a whole section that says variants Right, because that's sort of tied yeah. tied with these modifications that they've already made. That they said, well, here's your base game, but but here's a variant. You know, we've added in a few other cards, maybe, or it changes the rules in this way. Here's a different end goal, um, or and that's similar. It ties into solo play, right? Having a whole another Automa section for solo games, because there's a lot of people out there that love playing solo games, and I, I think that all ties in to the same thing.
0: Yeah, and this is actually something that Richard Launius did with Thunderstone. I I think it's Thunderstone, if I'm remembering this right. He played Thunderstone, and he had an idea on how to make it Different. How to make it like a quest? How to make it more adventurous? And so he basically put out a variant for a different way to play Thunderstone, and then later on, the publisher picked it up as a as the way to play. And so he kind of like re redesigned the game, so to speak, and, and made it, it last even longer than it would have. And so I mean, there's even because I feel like a lot of people they think, well, I don't want to waste my time doing this stuff because it's never gonna, no one's ever gonna buy it, no one's ever gonna see it, and that's that's kind of a cynical yeah. way to look at it. But at this, you know, but on the other side. It's, it's possible that if you do a really good job and make a really cool variant, and a cool version that it gets picked up and it becomes part of the, the way to actually play the game because it's happened in the past. But I feel like coming up with variants for games is just a really cool design challenge. Like we've been saying mm-hmm. all along. And it's, a, again, it's a great way to just grow and become mm-hmm. better as a designer. It, it's, it's a little bit frustrating how many people come into this thinking I'm going to design one game, my very first game and it's going to make a yeah. million dollars <laughs> on Kickstarter. It's like, no. Like in what, in what universe does any artistic you know, or creative venture do that? Like, it just doesn't work. Like no one ever sits down and writes their first novel and then sells it and makes a million dollars. You don't sit down and write your first movie and it becomes a blockbuster hit. Like it just doesn't work. Like it takes 10 years to become an overnight yeah, yeah. success, you know? And so I feel like if you really, if you're listening to this podcast and you really want to be a great designer, not just design a great game, but like be a great designer, then I feel like doing these design challenges and, and and figuring out ways to mod games, ways to make expansions, ways to do things that general public is never going to see. You're never going to make money off of it. It's just going to be a way to get better. Is just a really, really good idea because that's what it's practice, right? When you want to be a great basketball player, you go in the gym when nobody else is there and you shoot a thousand free throws and nobody's watching. There's no crowd. There's no scoreboard. You're just there shooting by yourself. That's how you become a great basketball player, a great free throw shooter. It's the same thing with game design. You just keep working. You keep trying new things, you know, new design challenges and, and, and eventually you get really good. Eventually you you get so much better than you can imagine, uh, especially, and you get way better than if you had just designed one game and then put all your effort and time and energy into it and, and never try anything else.
2: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I, I, at my day job, let's say I design stuff. It's not games, but they're engineering systems. And we go through the same thing as I've listened to more and more on this podcast about design and read about game design, I see so many parallels within the way things are designed, within the business of it, and just the iterations that you have to go through. And then we test, games play test, we go through a new iteration. And it's it's like you said, you don't you don't get overnight success. You learn it and you practice and you get better at it. And so my next project, it'll be easier to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And going back again, my, my brain always goes back to football. In, in practice, we would practice every scenario the coach could think of that we might be in in a game, right? We would do all these two-minute drills. We do a three-minute drill. We do a six-minute drill. We would do, what do you do when it's third and one and, and you need to get the first down, but you've only got you know 14 seconds on the clock. They would they would create all these scenarios that you, you, more than likely you're never going to be in in a game. But if you are, you know what to do. And I feel like, with art, it's the same thing, like going through all these different scenarios, all these different, uh, creative, uh, practice challenges, basically that way you learn and you grow and you figure out, Oh man, when I do this, this happens, When I do that. This other thing happens. And especially with games and mechanisms and play testing and all that, like you just, you just get a giant, uh, Array of knowledge that this lives in your brain, and so when problems show up, you oh okay, I know how to fix this, you know, and, and whether it's it's with a broken mechanism or you're trying to retheme a game, whatever, you you've kind of you've been practicing. You already know how to how to go about changing the game or fixing it or doing a new iteration or something like that. Or when other people come to you and they go, hey, I've I've got this problem with my game. What do you think? You go, oh yeah, I had a very similar problem in this other game, and so this is what I did. Maybe you can do it and change it a little bit, do it differently, and so you can help other people as well. Kind of recycling the failure, recycling the knowledge.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That your example about football made me think of somebody like a chess master. They go through yep. every scenario of this is how I would react to if the board was laid out this way. If we get into this yep. position, this this is what I would do. Same thing. It's just it's practice. So
0: yeah, definitely. Well, Jesse, yeah. man, it's been really cool having you on the show. Do you have any kind of like closing thoughts or, or advice? Uh,
2: no, just I guess for anybody that's listening that wants to do this, just just try it. And I mean, especially if you have kids and you want to get them into board gaming, then figure out with what games that you have that you can take mechanics from one game and put it to a more simple game to help the children learn those mechanics, which will just make it easier for them later to learn more complex games. That's really my goal was with my daughter, so that when she is the age she is now, I can play any game we have on, you know, on our shelf and she'll be able to play or at least learn it because she's been brought up doing that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also a good way to ease your kids into game design. Like if you you can basically kind of co-design with them and say, hey, what if we did this? Yeah, yeah. And they kind of give you their feedback. Oh yeah, that'd be kind of cool. And, and they give you ideas too. Oh, hey dad, what if we did this over here? Like, oh yeah, let's yeah. try that. And they kind of go into that process as well. And I feel like it's a really cool way, not only to grow as a designer, but also to have some cool family time. If you're doing this with your kids or help bring your friends into gaming, if they're not into it right now, you know, kind of ease them in with modding games and that kind of thing. I just feel like there's a lot of wins, a lot of value in doing this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think with, uh, with the kids, if you, if you design with a kid, they will come up with ideas that you never would have thought of
0: yeah, because absolutely,
2: they're just, innocent children i don't know if that's the right term but uh that yeah they'll say things and like i i never would have thought of that that's mm-hmm. that, will, that might work so
0: well awesome well jesse man really appreciate you coming on the show appreciate your time and good luck with modding more games and, and kind of bringing more games to to light with your kids and, and you know creating these different experiences for them and other people uh, at your table and good luck with everything else you got going on right now
2: yeah thank you so much for having me was Really excited to come on, and uh, I hope somebody listening out there can get something positive out of this message.
1: Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, Keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?